0: welcome back to the science communication accelerator podcast welcome back after the summer in the summer i thought a bit about how to continue producing content and i thought that it might be interesting for you not to only have people that do science communication in organizations or that might be very knowledgeable when it comes to social media but actually also to have more researchers and scientists here on the podcast and then not just from one stage, but from all different types of stages. Hence, in this episode, we are going to have Saad Ahmed on the podcast. He's a PhD student from Antinu here in Trondheim, Norway. And in the next episode, after Saad, we're going to have Professor Kimberly Nicholas from Lund University on the podcast. While Saad is only starting out and we're going to talk about how to develop a strategy for his science communication, in the next episode, we're going to have Kimberly. And Kimberly is an avid newsletter writer. She's got more than 21 thousand followers on Twitter and she also wrote a book. So these people are very different and they are in very different stages on their science communication journey and I hope that that provides you value and I hope that you enjoy these two episodes that are going to come now. So with no further ado we're going to start with Saad. My name is Julius Veshe and this is a Science Communication Accelerator podcast. Let's go. All right guys so welcome to this episode which is a bit of a test episode. And I'm having Saad here and he's going to introduce himself in a second. And today what you're going to get is a little bit of a, let's say, a consultancy session. And what I would love for you, the audience, to maybe learn from this is that when you are listening to this podcast episode, it will be cool of the questions that we will be discussing. Maybe you could like think about like how would you answer these questions and what are the questions that you are having and how would you then answer them? And so let's get right into this episode. Saad, thanks for making this possible today because you reached out to me and we are right now on into new campus, Gløshaugen, and why don't you give
1: the audience a little bit of an intro, who you are, what you do, what gets you up in the morning. So I'm Saad Ahmed, I'm a PhD candidate at EOT, Industrial Economics and Technology Management, in the experts in teamwork academic section. I'm basically from Pakistan, so I moved here for my master's in Norway, and then I got a position here at NTNU, and I moved from Kongsberg, I was actually in Kongsberg near Oslo, and then I moved here at NTNU for my PhD. And so basically I'm working in this project called HOLIB, which stands for Developing Holistic Ecosystem for Reusing, Repurposing, Recycling vehicle Lithium and Batteries in Norway and EU. And so we have like five PhDs working in material science department, chemical science department, geoscience department, design department. And then it's me working in the industrial economics and technology management department. And specifically, my research is about sustainable business models for repurposing EV batteries. Oh, yeah. Big topic in Norway, is it? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, A lot of electric cars here. Where are you in your career? You say you're a PhD student. Are you first year, second year, third year? So I'm first year. I started in August last year. So pretty new to the PhD life, I think. Yeah. How is it? Uh, It's pretty nice. But it's like it comes in phases. (laughs) So sometimes it's really nice. It's really good. You feel like you're achieving something, you're doing something nice and uh, everything is going well. But then there are phases in which you're like really down and you're confused what you're doing. So (laughs) Welcome to PhD live, my man. (laughs) Nice. Yeah, I guess that many
0: in the audience and also I can relate very much to that. And sometimes you feel it's faster, sometimes it's slower. There's always ups and downs. So yeah, but yeah, Yeah.
1: welcome to the club. It's a nice club though. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Good, it's good, man. That's good. That's good. Like we had the opportunity to get to know each other in a course that, yeah, I had the opportunity to co-teach maybe, but then I talked a little bit about science communication and then you reached out to me and said, okay, can we have a chat? And I'm very happy that we have that chat today, but what's your goal out of this session? Like, Under which circumstances would you think that this 20,
1: 30 minutes was time well invested? So just a little recap, I think we met each other in a course, a cold course we were taking. In that course, you particularly came here and came to the class and talked about science dissemination and you showed the slides and whatever you were doing with the podcasting and also seminars and conferences. And it was really nice to see that kind of dissemination going on. And I think for me, the main takeaway would be, I wanted to discuss with you and have a conversation about it, is that when you start in the PhD life for the first two years, you're just struggling with your research. You're trying to collect data. You have an overview of what you're doing in your head, but it's not something that you put out there. And then for me, I feel like it's really important to actually... Get that information out there, you know, tell people what you're doing and tell people what kind of impact you're making. And it's really important to understand how to do that, especially when you're like in the beginning of your research phase. Yeah, I'm with you there. If we have this conversation now, maybe we'll get some good ideas for
0: you or like things that you could follow up on or that you understand a bit more. So where are you now when it comes to science communication? Let's maybe touch base or where are you now? What are you doing? Are you doing anything at all? And any answer is good just for me (laughs) to get context of where you are. So
1: yeah. So we recently published a conference paper at a plate conference in Helsinki. So that's the first thing that we have done so far. Cool. So that is the only, I think, dissemination of my research that we have put forward for now. And other than that, it, I think it's still all in my head. So I've made some LinkedIn posts and stuff that I'm doing for the dissemination. But other than that, I don't think that I've been able to like communicate what I'm doing to other people internally or externally outside of NTNU.
0: But just hearing that you already are on LinkedIn and putting out some posts, yeah. These are really, really cool because yeah. there's a lot of people in the first year of the PhD who don't have the courage to do that or don't know what to do it about. So it's really cool to hear that you're already doing that. If you would think about like the perfect state in maybe by the end of the PhD or maybe end of next year or maybe end of PhD, you can decide for yourself where would you like to be when it comes to science communication and dissemination?
1: That's a broad question but I think At the end of my PhD, I would like to have the dissemination done through the journal articles or conference papers that I've been to. But also I would like to have this kind of like channels through which I'm actually putting out my content out there, but not only limited to researchers, but also like general population that needs to know. Like I think for us to make, for us researchers to make an impact on a society, it's important that the layman knows what we're doing, that the people working... In other sectors know what we're doing. And for that, I think for me, it would be like deciding upon what kind of channels I'm using. Do I use YouTube? Do I use LinkedIn? Or am I just publishing through policy briefs that are actually read by people who are in the government or they do not have the time to actually read through big journal articles? Mm-hmm. So different kind of channels. I see myself ideally to be in a position in which I'm disseminating or creating an impact in a general population through Mm -hmm. my research. Mm
0: -hmm. So you talk about laymen and laywomen, you talk about policymakers. I understand though that your project is also about business models. So we talked about where are you right now, touching base also, then we talked about like, where do you want to go? Maybe let's talk about like, what's the way from touching base from where you are right now until that place. Mm -hmm. And maybe start with thinking about your target group. So you, so you mentioned policymakers, you mentioned laymen, Mm -hmm. but you work with business models. So is that also part of an like a target group you want to reach, like I don't know potential people who might wanna start new companies or people in companies that might start a new department or whatever in with maybe using the knowledge that you could provide when it comes to business models?
1: Is that also a target group for you? Yeah, I think so. Uh, when you say that are you talking about like the people in the industries working? potentially,
0: I'm just trying to find like when we think about avatars, when we think about the people that you want to reach, like okay, so one avatar could be. Like some policymaker that maybe Yeah, we could maybe talk about that how that policymaker looks like or like what he or she has been doing. Mm. So policymaker could be one. Then you said general population. General yeah, layman. The thing is with general population is always like there is no such thing as yeah, general it's, population. It's so it's right. like trying to be as specific as possible because then you can create content or mm. you can really offer something that they can really use instead of just like always like pointing at them and then missing by three centimeters. Mm. <laughs> and then they're mm. like I'm not the target group. So maybe let's discuss these avatars a bit better so that I have a better understanding of Mm. who that would be. Avatars, just the audience is like in personification for your target group so that you actually get a better idea of who they are and what they do. So if you think about these policy avatar, what kind of policy is that? Is that someone in parliament? Is that someone in ministries? Is that someone in public policy? Is that someone in
1: municipalities? Like who's that person that you think could take advantage of your knowledge? I think when it comes to policymakers, I am thinking about like, the people in government, people in municipalities, people actually making the policies, especially when it comes to like energy transition and electrification of the transport sector.
0: Is uh, that what you're working on?
1: Because uh, I thought it's, wasn't it wasn't like a circular economy thing. Yes, but it's also a little bit touching upon how we can move towards electrification. So I also touched a little bit about that. Okay. Yeah. So it's about lithium-ion batteries, specifically about business model, but it also concerns why we should move towards that. So uh, I'm actually writing a paper right now about it for my course. When I think of policymakers, I think of the people who are actually building up these regulations and policies. Okay. And what's the value that you think you could provide to them?
0: Maybe not yet now, but maybe in a year or in two years when you're further along with your research. What's the knowledge that you might have that you think they might be interested in or they could take advantage of?
1: Yeah, so one of the things that I'm working on is repurposing and reusing batteries. And there's a big problem with regulations when it comes to it. It goes on from the local level to the international, but to the bigger level. And I think the knowledge about why repurposing the EV batteries is important and how businesses can actually create value and create monetary and also social value through making business models that actually promote these kind of repurposing of the batteries. And then like, why do we need policies regarding that? So I think if you want to avoid waste of EV batteries and avoid supply chain bottlenecks when it comes to, if you put in so much recycling in there, then the recycling of the batteries is not yet so sustainable. So it creates a problem for environment and then then there's a lot of energy that gets used to. So it's important to get that knowledge out there to the people in the government and the policymakers Mm -hmm. that it's important That repurposing of the batteries is taken into consideration, and then that kind of knowledge can actually maybe help them make those kinds of policies. Mm. When you
0: have this policymaker in mind, you know, it's like obviously we could give them content and knowledge, Mm. but sometimes they are very busy at times. So, would it make sense to maybe also target someone who maybe has meetings with policymakers who could influence them? So, for example, there's a lot of NGOs running around in Oslo, like when we think about here in Norway. But it could also be Brussels for the European Union or Washington, and, you know, Washington mm-hmm. D.C. for the United States. Could that be also part as a part of a target group to maybe reach out or like empower people that maybe talk to policymakers? Is that something that crossed your mind? Is that something that sounds reasonable?
1: Yeah, I think it does. I think it does. But I think to make an impact, you have to have a multifaceted approach. Here we go. So it has to be different stakeholders working together to create an impact, right? So there is like groups like Scientist Rebellion and Stop Oilethanga that actually put pressure on the policymakers to change their policies in a way. And definitely, you know, reaching out to them and somewhere or another and getting that information out to them. And then they kind of using their influence in some way. Yeah. Yeah, It could be definitely. Yeah.
0: Summarize. So like first year PhD student topic is really reusing of batteries. Would love to have an impact on changing regulation over time so mm. that it becomes a most sustainable process. Target group is pretty much policymakers and maybe people who might be talking to
1: policymakers or like might influence policymaking process. But also other like businesses as well, you know. So uh, businesses as well. Yeah, yeah but, uh, just a little comment here. So we've been trying to interview some companies and it's really difficult to get to them. How's that? Oh, it's just they're busy. <laughs> so, fair, 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 fair. so getting that information out to them, the business owners who are actually going to develop these business models or we're gonna help them develop these business models, is important that they have the information as well. Mm. So like I said, it's like multifaceted approach. So you have to have policy makers and then these organizations yeah. and then businesses, everyone on board to actually create an impact and then make these practices sustainable. Yeah. yeah. Cool.
0: So when we then think okay, we have the business people and we have the policy people and maybe kind of the NGOs that talk to the business. So we have kind of these three parts or these three avatars, if we want to call them like that. Do you have a feeling what platforms they use or how they consume content? Because obviously you can go to conferences. I guess that's a very straightforward way. And that's like very person to person. And I think it makes complete sense and building networks there and then easier to call someone up when you already had a chat with them. So I think that makes super sense just to build your network.
1: But when we think about digital ways... Where would you think that these people that you have in mind hang out? Just before I answer this question, I have one very important stakeholder that I missed. That's user of the cars. Yeah. Yeah. One of my PhD, Leander, who works very closely with me, he is working with this user acceptance of repurposing of the batteries. Yeah. And it's really important that for now, the researchers have not really focused on the user side of these repurposed batteries that is coming into the market. And it's really important to actually...
0: These repurposed batteries then will go into commercial or in residential uh, areas, they will not be used in cars again, isn't it?
1: Yes, so it's like when the battery reaches 80% of its capacity in a car, it's ideally not... When it goes down from 100, isn't it? Yeah, hmm. from 100 to 80%, and there's still a lot of capacity left. When it goes to 80%, it is ideally no longer used in the battery or mobility solution. so it goes to energy storage systems. And it could be either used for uh, energy storage in uh, residential areas or a uh, backup power or grid stations for commercial sites.
0: And there is issue
1: with social acceptance, and there's issue with users? There's still uh, research needs to be done here, but there is some, when it comes to household applications, then there's like safety issues. Would your house uh, catch fire if it's a repurposed battery? And there's a lot of regulations as well that are very vague. So the battery dismantlers, for example, are really uh, reluctant to actually get these batteries because then they have a lot of things to do. They have to test the battery. And then there's also data sharing problem between the stakeholders. So the manufacturer does not give the data to the repurposer. So the repurposer has to like, do a lot of analysis themselves that cost them a lot of money. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of problems there. The user side is also very important when it comes to it because at the end they are going yeah. to use it. Yeah. We know that you as a PhD, you're quite busy, I guess,
0: with the research that you do and all the other sites. Task that you, I guess, your mother. If you had to decide which of these three groups would be most important to you, so
1: for the research that I've done, I actually had the idea that policymakers are like one of the primary people mm. who can push, you know, for repurposing. But then I met a person, Dr. Brian, I think, in a conference last week, and like he told me that it's actually policymakers are not the primary people who are doing it. So who are uh, the primary so. people? Yeah, that's he had to be found. out, <laughs> He was of the opinion that it is the businesses that are the main, main hmm. people here. The question with these kind of,
0: you know, what you're actually looking at or what I think you're looking at is a social technical system that needs to change and needs to transition. Here we come back to the class that we were also getting to know each other a little bit. And there you see it's, you can on the one hand, you could say it's none of them. And on the other hand, it's everyone. And uh, so like losing out on policymakers, I think doesn't make a lot of sense. Like they are important. But again, they do things that they're influenced by of what the people want or what the lobby organizations want. Yeah. So there's a lot of intricate networks that one cannot see from the outside. Yeah, but just to keep this kind of like, you know, it's like, keep it easy, keep it simple. Do you think you can cater to all three groups? Do you feel comfortable doing
1: that? Or is that a bit of an overwhelming thought? When it comes to disseminating, like yeah, giving out the knowledge sharing, yeah. I'm a little confused about it. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I think... So there are like different channels for it. Mm. I think if you go for like policy briefs, then it's probably the policymakers who will look at it, and hopefully. then when it comes to it, hopefully, hopefully, yeah. <laughs> of course, hopefully. <laughs> and when it comes to like using like Instagram or YouTube, mm. or then you're actually getting out to some extent to the users of the batteries, and probably the business owners or mm. business people as well who are like looking mm. at these contents mm. or like scrolling through YouTube or Instagram. Yeah. The
0: good thing about policymakers is that. Some of them, not all of them, but some of them are, for example, on LinkedIn and on Twitter. But for example, business people by now, even in Norway, we're picking up. (laughs) Everyone is on LinkedIn, for example. And you just said in the beginning as well that you have already posted some things on LinkedIn. Is LinkedIn, since we're kind of looking at like how your target groups are consuming content, is LinkedIn something, an environment that you as a person
1: feel safe and comfortable of posting? Yeah, absolutely. I think I, I feel safe in posting it. But I also don't want to like barge all the content all at once mm-hmm. you know that's also something that i think about when i'm like putting. what does content. barge mean like you just keep on putting the content and then it just get lost where is it going to get lost it's not going to get lost but i think for me there's a concern that okay people might just get bored of looking at all this content you know that the algorithms work in a way that linkedin only shows it to 10-15
0: percent of your people and then the next post is going to be 10-15 percent of the rest of the people and then it's going yeah. to be the other people again. So actually something like in marketing jargon that is called content fatigue so then people see always the same content. Mm. But it's actually like if you really go all in and if you post three times a day Mm. on LinkedIn every day and it's always the same thing, people might experience content fatigue Mm. with you. But if you stir it a bit up, sometimes video, sometimes just text, sometimes whatever it is. And if you don't pound the the network, (laughs) you're okay. Well, these are the intricacies that I don't know about yet. Yeah, sure, so sure, 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 yeah, yeah. And the good thing about LinkedIn is as well that in contrast to Instagram, where when you post something, it's only available for 12 hours, like it's only being shown like somewhere between 10 and 14 hours, but on the next day, no one will see your content anymore. And the LinkedIn algorithm works in a way that it shows your content over a week, over five days or a week or so. And if it is successful content, then even after that, it's going to be shown. So that's the nice thing of like, LinkedIn is a bit more, like it doesn't ask you to post too much. So if you post something, like I try to post every day on LinkedIn, but I try not to post like more than three things because then they are cannibalizing Mm. each other. But if you feel comfortable with that, and if you feel that your target group, like policymakers or business people are actually on that platform, then I would kind of suggest, like if you have something to post, post it. Like don't hold yourself down. And the thing is people can always unfollow you. Yeah. So what, you know? But if you build a brand You should put things out for what you want to be known. Mm. Oh, that's the guy that works with regulation of reusing lithium-ion batteries, whatever it is, yeah? If that's your topic and you post about that topic consistently, reliably, every week for a year, good things will happen because people will realize, okay, that guy, that's the battery guy. I'm going to follow him because maybe something to share that is kind of interesting. And then, obviously, a bit sneaky, like if we just stay with LinkedIn, because actually I think that your target group... Like, I think since you started with LinkedIn kind of organically, it makes sense to maybe stay there as well, because there's business people there and there's policymakers there to continue with that. And the good thing is that on LinkedIn, you don't have to ask someone, like you can ask someone to follow you kind of like, because you connect and then you pop up in their screen and then they can decide to connect with you. And if you write something nice, like, hey, I saw you were in the battery space too, would love to connect. Hope you have a great day. Like, just be nice, you know, whatever. And then you just hook up. You find your, what's that? 50, 100 people that work in Norway in battery companies, whatever. Or you hear something about an initiative or a research project or whatever it is. And you just search them up while you're eating alone at home. If you're, I don't know you that well, (laughs) but I hope you're not alone at home. But (laughs) so, in or in a break or whatever. So just... Put in the hashtag batteries, put in the hashtag lithium ion, put in the hashtag yeah. battery no. whatever it is, and find these people and give them a hint that it makes sense to follow you. And then most of them, it, like, it's not that everyone will connect and like you and that's okay, like whatever. But like that, you actually build a network and it's obviously more impressive if you have 500 or 600 connections than if you have 30. But the good thing is that LinkedIn, you can really do that instead of Instagram or Twitter, you have to kind of create real good content over time and have to hope that they want to follow you. You know, you can't nudge them in a way. Is that something you think you could do? You would feel comfortable, even though it's dirty work. It's getting your hands dirty and stuff, but it's one of the best strategies that LinkedIn actually to build a better Mm -hmm. network. Is that something you feel
1: all right with when I talk about that? And worth the time, even more important? I don't know. I think so. Like The thing that you're talking about is like before you actually start putting on the content, like the real content, you connect with people, right? You bring in the people that you want to show the thing. That- what you could do is you post something that is very battery related. Yeah. And then you ask 50
0: people to connect because if then they connect, then what they're, they're see, going to be seeing yeah. is the LinkedIn algorithm is going to see. Yeah. If you connect to someone and you go in on LinkedIn again, it's very, very likely that you'd see something from a person that you just connected to because the algorithm says, ah, you had interaction. So you actually might be interested in seeing something from that person, and then more inclined to like it and to comment on it. And that's what LinkedIn wants. They want your engagement. They want that you stick on the platform. So it's just a very rational thing to do, kind of. So if you post something and then you like, and then you start connecting with 30, 50 people in an evening, what they're going to see is your last post. And for example, you do a post about policy. Maybe if you do a policy brief, amazing, you post it, and then you search everyone who is in government, whatever, and connect with them and guess what they're going to be shown
1: your policy brief Well, that's a good idea i would definitely be comfortable in doing it but also kind of like make sense what kind of content is it sure because i'm not really comfortable with videos yet so uh, i think you I'll... would be a, a <laughs> smasher man you would be a <laughs> smasher
0: video guy but yeah let's talk about that so yeah. obviously you know that there's like four ways of how you can create content that's written that's audio that's graphics and that's video mm. what do you feel comfortable with
1: I think I'm comfortable with writing and having a picture, like graphical or something cool. there. Yeah, mm. uh, videos. I don't know yet. I don't know. I haven't tried it. I haven't tried it. We like, can try. I, it. I did try it with my iPhone, mm. but it didn't really. Uh, I don't know. What was the barrier, or what was not the great experience? I don't know. It didn't feel right. <laughs> yeah, it's like it's
0: seeing oneself for the first time, hearing the voice, and then, yeah. oh, this is how <laughs> I look like. Oh, <laughs> I should have combed my hair today in the morning. <laughs> yeah, because. All we need is actually in our pocket, and you're aware of that. So, and the thing is that people connect way better with a face and not a face that's like grumpy and whatever. But if you smile and if you show that you got passion, everyone wants to hang out with people that Mm. are passionate, like everyone. Yeah. You could try. Don't have to. Yeah, I could try. Who am I to push you? Yeah, I'm I'm also
1: like uh, always procrastinating. Okay, I have a nice phone, but I don't have a nice audio uh, (laughs) equipment to to actually put it out there. Start your phone, man. Start your phone, and then. (laughs) The
0: thing is, there's like even for phones, there are by now actually pretty good microphones that cost 700 knock. That's like 70 euros. That's not too little, but but... probably your department would actually give you the money back if you ask nicely. I don't know how well your guys are financed, but funded,
1: but it's not the greatest audio, but it's pretty good already. Okay, so. But is it the same equipment that you use for the other podcasts as well? What do you mean when I do videos? No, No, no. For the podcast.
0: Yeah, that's what's just in front of us. Yes, that's yeah. also the real podcast yeah. stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah, the audience, we're just like looking at the microphones right in front of us. So you say written is cool, graphics or a video is good to add. By the way, if you do that, texts are always nice, but if you add some emojis, if you add some emotion, if you add some pictures, graphics is always better. And if you add a video, even better. It's easier to connect to a person or something visual Yeah. Than if it's just text. It's pretty straightforward and easy And everyone knows that, but I just wanted to pound it into everyone. (laughs) Like, make it engaging. Like, show your target group that you went the extra 3%, if you can, if you have the time, you know. So then what could be, when we think about LinkedIn could be the thing, what would be the content that you think about putting out? And we can also jam about that. Like, because it's hard to go every day to the office and then you work on your PhD and then in the end ah, damn, I wanted to put on some content. Like, what could I do? And one good thing, and I think I've said this on the podcast several times already, is like, if you don't know what to do, if the thought of you have to create content is daunting, then one thing that's good is actually just to document your life, like document your professional life. And in a way of like, hey, these are the papers that I read. This is what I learned. One, two, three, four, five points, whatever. I go to this conference and I submit that paper. Mm -hmm. And the main paper is this and this and this. And we write it because no one else has written about it. And Mm -hmm. you will learn this and this and this. Or... Hey, uh, there's a call out. We're working on a research proposal and we try to fill that gap and filling that gap is important because of this and this and this. So it's like creating content can be daunting, but if you just think about, okay, what do you do anyways? Because science communication shouldn't be 50% of your time. It should be 5%, 10% maximum. Then the thing is like what you do in the day anyways, maybe you can repurpose it and create content based on that. And also then there's this big topic called storytelling. But it's like, if you start now and you build up your audience a little bit, then you kind of storytell your whole PhD life. So then in two years, people might realize, think back, oh, sad, I remember him. Two years ago, he did this first post. And since then, I've been following him. And I guess when you then meet them on a conference, then they're super warm with you because they kind of know you, even though they've never met you, but they've seen your face. They'll maybe read some of your texts, whatever. And then, then going into project cooperation or doing whatever is way easier. So... What could be potential formats that you create when you think about documenting your
1: days? I think ideally the best would be going for a video, of course. Could be, because, yeah. Yeah, it could be like, yeah, you make a 30-second video, you just tell what you did, maybe not the day, maybe a week. You just tell what you did in this week. And I think like a thirty seconds, forty seconds video is like, it goes like this and you're able to like provide all the information that you want to provide to the audience. Yeah. But since I'm not comfortable with it yet, so I think it would be something... Like you said, that I read this this paper. These are the main points. Just, you know, give the summary of what actually were you working on this particular week. And it could be like for different audiences. Like for example, I could be reading a case study research book about how to do it. And as a junior researcher, I just give like seven, six points about what's the best thing to do. And my audience then would be the junior researchers or people.
0: That's the thing. We shouldn't confuse that Sometimes it's not that easy to reach, for example, the prime minister for us because we're in our 30s. Maybe you're in your 20s, probably, I guess, because that's a different generation. And I feel always, even when I have like CEOs or policymakers really on my podcast, it's like it's harder to connect with them if they're 20 years older and they look down on you like, who are you? You know, a little bit, not too bad, but sometimes that happens. Yeah, but it's easier to connect to our generation or someone that's maybe five or 10 years older and not 20 Mm -hmm. years older. So I think that was just a very smart thing. What you just said is like, Maybe I try to reach the other juniors, and it could be researchers, but it could also be policymakers. Because in every ministry, there's also junior policy analysts, mm. for example.
1: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, and also in all the organisations, the people working in like teams are also like junior people of the same age as us, are...
0: and they can still stick it up the ladder yeah. later, isn't it? Yeah, that... Absolutely,
1: yeah, absolutely, yeah. yeah.
0: So today's Wednesday. So, what did you do on Monday? On Tuesday, just let's think about more content. Snippets? All right, yeah. What did you do yesterday and the day before?
1: Oh, I was actually at Selbu. So we had a seminar, a center something. I work sometimes in Engage as well, if you know, as an entrepreneurship education department here. So we were there and we were looking at the strategies that we were making and how we can make this department more sustainable for the future. So there we were talking about that.
0: What were the points that came out of the discussions, for example?
1: Oh, it was just strategy related, related, like what were we supposed to do? What are we going to do about it? What do we do today that will have an impact on the future? And how we need to like adapt and change how we are doing things to uh, cater to the requirements of the future. So those are some some things that we talked about. And then we also had a very nice food and stuff at the <laughs> hotel. <Yeah>. That's good. <laughs> nice food is always nice. Yeah.
0: No, but is that like, this is very specific and this is not really connected to your research now, but mm. do you think like what could be a
1: content piece that you could have generated out of that? Teamwork, I think. So we've worked in teams and actually working in teams, how does that, you're able to produce new thoughts about things and you are able to produce like what you're going to do next. And it's about interdisciplinarity, you know, like you're working with different kind of people. I'm coming from a different background, they're coming from different backgrounds and then how you co-create things together. Yeah. And I think that kind of like also fits into my research because I'm also doing interdisciplinary work in my project for example. So it's kind of like, even though it's not connected to my research, it's connected to the process yeah. of how we can... And you could, research. for
0: example, like summarize these processes and see where there could be advantages or disadvantages or like, what can other people learn from this maybe, potentially. But then maybe let's not look back, but let's look into the next days. Is there anything that you do research related in the next two days? So today is Wednesday afternoon,
1: on Thursday, on Friday? Absolutely. I'm working on this conference paper. <laughs> so, cool. So definitely. What is it about? It's about how we can design products that are designed for, and specifically for the batteries, that are designed for repurposing and uh, remanufacturing. And the conference paper is about how sustainable business models can actually make these processes about And you battery. got data that you collected? Uh, we are collecting data now. You're collecting yeah. data Yeah, we are conducting interviews and stuff. Cool. Yeah. It,
0: like, for example, in conducting interviews... Sometimes it's a bit tricky to have a post about every interview you do, because then it could also be, like, in terms of privacy, you might share things that you shouldn't share. Or like, it's, But, for example, if you do several interviews, you could just batch them and say, okay, I did now five, and these were kind of my five learnings. Yeah. And do something about that, mm. post about that. Cool, so we're coming to an end now. But I was wondering, like, since you are working on this paper now in the next days, what could be one post, that, like, very specific, one post that you could do tomorrow...
1: Based on the stuff, repurposing the things that you are working on tomorrow, what could be one post? So I think one of the main findings for now, for me, is that batteries are not really designed for repurposing for now. So there is no communication between the stakeholders and it creates a lot of problem when it comes to repurposing the batteries themselves.
0: Cool. That could be one post of saying one, two, three. These are the reasons why they are not designed for repurposing it. Yeah, cool. That could be one post and you put a battery picture down there, easy, smooth. Yeah. When you have a new week coming up, do you do like a plan of more or less what you're going to do in these days? Do you have an overview in the beginning of the
1: week? What happens in this week? More or less. More or less. But these days, yes. Uh, These days, yes, because I have this essay to write and then I have this paper to write. So it's like really planned. It's like really packed. Because if you are kind of planned, you could think in the beginning of the week, okay, what are two
0: things that I'm doing this week that I can repurpose to maybe do two posts? You know, it doesn't need to be crazy much, you know? I don't expect and like, you know, you should do your research
1: first, you know, <laughs> but
0: if you would say, okay, do you feel comfortable doing two posts a week? Do you think that's doable or would you rather say, okay, one per week and that one is good? I think one per week for now would be good. Yeah, yeah then fair. Then. How about looking in the beginning of the week to, okay, where is some content in the week coming that you yeah. can repurpose? And then maybe you say, I don't know what day is your best day, but maybe on Thursday I try to do it. And if I don't mention Thursday, I can still post it on Friday. Yeah. Is that something that it feels comfortable? Like... Because it shouldn't be overwhelming, but it should be a bit challenging, like a
1: little bit, like that you learn something. So you think a week is okay? Yeah, I think so. I think so. For LinkedIn, one week is good enough. Should I just focus on one channel or is it something like I can do the same thing on multiple channels? The thing is, obviously you can repurpose things
0: to different channels, Yeah. but the thing is, it's really hard for single people. If you're an organization, not, because then you have more resources, but it's really hard for a single person to grow on several channels substantially. Because then you're even diluting the efforts and the resources that you have to several channels. So this means none of them is probably grow substantially. Mm. I know it's not what you wanted to hear, <laughs> yeah. but I would think it's probably makes sense to just build up your reputation on one channel in a specific, very small niche, which just could be recycling of the batteries, you know, mm. Old oh, Saad, that's the guy from Entenu that works on batteries and you can follow him up and his journey and what he learns if you post once a week about something that you find that's interesting, it could be part of your own work, or maybe you're reading some news, there's mm-hmm. some news articles, whatever yeah. you could share these news articles and take your spit, your three, four, five sentences on that, meaning be critical about it or like, Oh, this is what I learned. Or it could be like, Oh, that's interesting, but we need to have these and these and these points in mm-hmm. mind and then use the right hashtags. And when you feel that this is particularly interesting for policymakers or for example, for NGOs or fellow researchers, If you have these people already in your network on LinkedIn, what you could do is obviously use the hashtags, the right hashtags, like what's the topic, Mm -hmm. but also put the names of these people if you are connected, like if you are okay putting their names because then they will definitely be informed about your post. You know, it's very obvious, but I'm just re saying this, that it's okay to do that because then they're more inclined to actually like it Mm. they're more inclined to also maybe do a comment. And if you want to be really on top of things, you could go to these people that you are wanting to have some attention from mm. and give them your constructive two cents under what they post. Because then if you do this five times, then they're like, ah, that's the sad guy. Yeah, yeah, mm. He's always coming. Because then your stuff will also more be shown to you because the algorithm thinks that you have a special connection. And like that, you get attention over time. And it's not about selling or getting something out of it right now, but it's you're building your network, you're building your reputation. And eventually, when you post about a specific topic over time, and people know that... And people kind of like you. Not everyone will like you. Not everyone likes me, but you know, some, then who are they going to reach out to? Yeah. If there's a slot where someone needs to give a speech or Mm -hmm. if there's, I don't know what it is, you know? Or maybe doing some collaboration. Yeah. yeah. Or for a project, whatever it is. So I think that it's very sensible. And if you think that, you know, if you say your target group is that and that, and there are somehow on LinkedIn, and if you feel comfortable on LinkedIn, then why not say, okay, 52 weeks means 52 meaningful They don't need to be long. They only need to be meaningful and they need to provide value to your target group. Mm. If you say, look how cool I am, no one is gonna care. But if you say, hey, this is what you can learn, people start caring.
1: Mm.
0: Sounds doable? Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. Okay. I'm expecting your first post next week. (laughs) If you like, you can tag me and I'm definitely gonna like it and put my two constructive sense under it. Is that okay? (laughs) Yes,
1: yes, definitely. Instead of next week, I think we can do it now. Like you know, take a picture of us together. Oh, we think. should definitely do that. No, we should do that.
0: Cool, Saad. Then uh, thanks for joining me today. And uh, did this provide value? Was this uh, meaningful? Yeah. yeah, it was
1: quite meaningful. Yeah. It Sounds provided good. a lot of value. Thank you so much, Julius. My pleasure. It was really fun. Thanks, man. Bye. Thank you. Bye-bye.
0: Folks, that was episode 57 of the Science Communication Accelerator podcast. Thanks a lot for tuning in. This was the episode with Saad. And in two weeks, we're going to have Professor Kimberly-Nicholas On the podcast and Kimberly or Kim is a bit more seasoned researcher and she's got a newsletter she's got more than 20,000 followers on Twitter or X and she's written her own book and yeah that might give you some other and different insights into how science communication can look like and we're going to talk about how to prioritize science communication and how to juggle all the other things as a seasoned professor and as a science communicator on the side. So thanks for tuning in today maybe you have a friend or a colleague who might also benefit from listening to this podcast. And please don't hesitate to share this podcast with him or with her. And yeah, that's it for me. I hope you have two really nice weeks ahead of you. Take care. Goodbye. And uh, looking forward to having you back. Ciao.